0: Hey there. This is your friendly neighborhood horror hooligans uh, back for our second episode of our podcast. Um, we've really been having a lot of fun um, coming up with um, our critical view of movies and um, you know it's it's been a lot of fun for us to kind of go in and start to view these movies that we've Historically, really loved and um, this new light and really pick it apart and start to um, kind of critically analyze things.
1: Right. I mean, we're finding new things to appreciate and maybe finding like small nitpicky things that in the past we hadn't really looked at. I mean, not so much with this first film, but this has affected how I watch other movies and I've definitely noticed things that I probably would have never cared about before, and now I'm just like, oh. I see you lazy writing. What is happening? Right, some of those details and nuances and mm. the,
0: the characters that don't really make any sense or don't really serve much of a purpose. Oh, so
1: all of escape room? <laughs> uh, bothersome. <laughs> bothersome. Um, real quick, I would like to make a formal apology. Um, I said something very homophobic in the first episode, and I would like to return my gay card I it up. I mistakenly Said that Mommy Dearest Was the Bette Midler Joan Crawford film It's not the title It's whatever happened to, to Baby Jane Mommy Dearest Is a movie about Joan Crawford As a mother That's Crazy and insane And I'm just I'm sorry Truly torn Every gay Makes a mistake <laughs> or two And um, I will do my best to Never repeat that again Gotta earn back that, that card, you know, earn back some of that, oh, that yeah. confidence. I can't get into the meetings right now. <laughs> it's insane. They revoked your membership. They did. It's bullshit. I have to buy a whole new card. I can't do this. Tragic. I'm very sorry. Now, today, we not talking about either of those films. No. No, today we're not. Today is, you know, probably in contention for the most famous horror film of all time. It's a huge one. It is uh, The emphasis
0: and the impact that this film has had on the horror movie uh, industry as a whole has been absolutely monumental and, one might argue, completely unrivaled. Um, And a lot of the nuances and a lot of the styles that were um, basically created for this movie have been able to be found in many 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 movies um since
1: oh yes and not even just in the realm of horror hitchcock's methods have leaked into every kind of film really i mean i think that i think that every director in the history of cinema past maybe psycho maybe even back to like north by northwest rear window they all owe something to hitchcock Right. In some way, they've all stolen something from his camera use, it's his sound, his dialogue. They've, they've done something with it or the tropes that he so readily used, like distrust of cops, innocent people making a bad choice and being not, not innocent or innocent right. people just running away from problems that they don't have to or for reasons. People, well, yeah. Those, those not quite innocent folks who yeah, are... Really ambiguous. Yes. They they just, they make a goof and they dearly pay for it. Yes. Very much so. Also, the fact that he had an obsession with killing off blonde women. I don't know why. It's because he just had an obsession with blonde women. Maybe. Who can't relate to that? I mean, when I think of all my favorite female actresses, most of them are blonde women. Mm. It's, I don't know. They're, they're up there. Who knows? So, if you can't tell
0: um, from our description thus far, um, this episode is going to be going over Alfred Hitchcock's 1960 blockbuster
1: smash hit, Psycho. Ooh, just such a good, good, good movie. And I love all of the um, backstory of like how he what he had to do to get this film made. Like, he essentially took no paycheck from the film itself because he believed in it so much. And he told the studios, if you just give me the full budget, I don't take a penny. Just the actors get paid, the crew, and then the rest goes to the actual film. I I will do that. But I want a percentage of the earnings. No, I I think he got all of the earnings. I believe... Because the studio thought it was going to be a terrible film that would make no money at all. Oh, he showed them. Yeah, so they said yes, and then he made millions all off of it. It's insane. Right, and, and you know, like the, the influence of it is,
0: <clears throat> as we stated, absolutely profound. And I can remember, you know, as a um, teenager when I was really getting into horror movies. Psycho was one of the biggest that um, my my dad actually recommended to me. He's not much of a movie guy, um, however, he saw my interest in horror movies and he said, "Hey, have you seen Psycho?
1: It's a good one. You really need to watch it." I also the fact that Hitchcock decided to film it in black and white because he thought that color would ruin the film, and I think that, that gives it uh, I don't know like a uh, Like a period air. It feels like an older film than what it is. So it almost makes it feel more impressive that he was so successful in directing with what he had and making a film that looks old in the 60s. So it holds up to this day. I mean, we watched it three weeks ago and I was just as entertained as I was when I was a kid by it. It was great. It's enthralling. I mean,
0: you know, the the way that um, the pace is set and it just kind of gradually builds and you know he sets up these dominoes in a row and you can see them being set up but he he doesn't reveal um he, he's very masterful about only revealing enough to keep you interested and then um you know once those dominoes start to fall there is just this this sprinting pace to the end where um you know that just one thing knocks into another and you can see very clearly once that big reveal is made how masterfully all the pieces were put into
1: place. Right. because I mean, it is such a well-crafted story. There are tiny allusions in the beginning parts of the film to what we're going to see, but they're so subtle that if you're not really, like, in-depthly paying attention to everything, the twist at the end is still kind of shocking. I mean, the first time that we watched it together about a month and a half ago, I was still a little shocked when it got there because I had gotten wrapped up in Lila and Sam and the sheriff and blah, blah, blah. That, everything happened, that I was just doing. like, what is going on? And then it happens and I was like, oh yeah, that's right. Norman's the killer. <laughs> right? What is this? Spoiler Uh-oh. alert, side note, for wow. this 60-year-old movie. How dare you? I'm awful. <laughs> awful. Awful. Side note: This is the 60th anniversary this year in September of this film's release. So, so what a fitting
0: way for us to celebrate the 60th anniversary of this movie, as well as to really take advantage of everybody's uh, currently quarantined condition in yes. order to, um, you know, uh, celebrate
1: the psychopathy that is slowly developing all across America. Right. So, Psycho um, stars Anthony Perkins and Janet Leigh, or Janet Lee. I never know because I've never actually heard her uh, name pronounced. Interesting. Only only seen it read. Yeah. So I just, I assume that I assume that it's Lee. You know, fun fact. Um, along those lines, uh, for
0: the longest time, I didn't know how to pronounce unique by reading it. I I just I you know I read the word and I just could not fathom how to pronounce it and it was a shocking day in fourth grade when somebody when i had to finally read it out loud and i got made fun of
1: wait so how how did you say it like what did your fourth grade brain think unique was like unique unique yeah unique yep. okay no i'm i'm seeing the word i see the letters i okay i get it and I guess just, two, just the two dots did not
0: connect. Yeah. I knew the word unique. I I read this word and I, you know, by the context, kind of understood what it meant. But, you know, wasn't wasn't made.
1: Okay. Alright. Alright. So yes. Anthony Perkins, Janet Lee or Leigh. Orlais, jury's still out. It's probably Leigh. I'm gonna say Lee. Sorry. Lee. Um both these actors had been in the business for quite a while. Uh, Janet Lee had been in there since, I wanna say the late 40s, and Anthony Perkins started in, I wanna say around like 50, 51, I'm not sure. Sadly, I don't know most of their bodies of work. I've only ever seen one other Janet Lee film, and it's Bye Bye Birdie, which is a 1974, I believe, musical. Okay. Very different role, Dressing. very different, and then Anthony Perkins was in a film from like maybe 54 called Friendly Persuasion about Quakers and the Civil War, okay. and Anthony Perkins plays a son, oh and they're all pacifists because they're Quakers, and it tests their commitment to pacifism? okay it's been I awesome see. I've seen it but their resolve right but Perkins was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting no for not a Golden Globe for Best New Artist I think Best Oatmeal Artist and then in 1970s he was in Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express which is a great fucking movie okay there's a remake of it it's okay mm-hmm. the original real dry British humor in a murder mystery film I love it. Even better. Perfect. It's, it's great. So they weren't like new faces, but I do think that by far these are their most iconic roles. I think if anyone Easily. ever thought of them, you wouldn't think of anything else. No, I, he- I can't think of Anthony Perkins as anything other than Norman
0: Bates. Yeah, no, not he, at all. He did a fantastic job um, really embodying that um, that reserved, quiet, quirky guy he, on the surface, is nice, but, you know, most of the time, there are those subtleties that kind of, you know, show the shadows beneath, and, um, you know, you can see, um, you can see that there's something dwelling beneath the surface.
1: Right, While well, having a very, like, boyishly charming side to himself. Right. That comes through a lot and masks the darker sides, for the most part. I mean, he... Tricks Marion. Well, what what better way to really mask such a
0: sinister side than, you know, that boyish innocence? Right. Right. And, you know, as we'll discuss, um, the innocence is potentially connected to that, um, the psychological damage that uh, was uh, incurred <laughs> by him early in his life. Right. Because Norm um, Bates, crazy backstory.
1: Have you watched Bates Motel?
0: Like, all of it? I believe I've seen all of it, if not um, most of it. Um, and, you know, throughout that that whole uh, series, I just I kept thinking to myself, God, I wish that bastard would die. But, um, you know, mm. I knew he wouldn't. I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> psycho.
1: Spoiler alert. <laughs> there's <laughs> that whole thing. <laughs> there's a movie afterwards. See, I think I got as far as... Was... Did mm. did Norman's brother at some point work as a security guard for a marijuana smuggling business? Uh, marijuana grow up, Yeah, that's
0: where I got yeah. to out out in the mountains. Yeah. yeah. Oh wait, no, I think. And he was he was really raking in the big bucks, bringing it home to mama.
1: Okay, so either that happened. He got a truck. I can't remember a now. Truck. I remember that I saw the teacher get killed, and I think that's before weed growing. But I don't mm-hmm. really care. I do it's a show. it happened right eh. It's a good series. It's, it's a entertaining. Good series. You know? but when I watch Psycho, I don't think about Bates motel. I don't let that influence not one psycho day. at all no
0: and and you know honestly, i do, I don't either and um I can't see or watch Bates motel without thinking of psycho, but I can definitely think you know, like watch Psycho and never have Bates motel enter my mind.
1: Well yeah. Also, the portrayal of Norman in Bates Motel is so different than Norman that we get in Psycho. It seems super odd. But then I guess we are also seeing Norman pre-murdering his mom. Right, just, just so only the... after murdering his dad. Yeah. Um, which
0: I, I will say, though, um, you know, Bates Motel did a good job on um, kind of... Or the, that kid, I don't I don't know what that actor's name is. I, I think that he did a good job of kind of portraying that... Uh, that sinister
1: innocence that Anthony yeah. Perkins embodied so well, as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, film comes out in 1960. I um, get. I guess, I guess this is where we just start talking about the film itself. Right.
0: So the the set and setting. Um, it, we we begin in was it Phoenix, Arizona? Phoenix, Arizona. Um, December 11th of 1960. Specifically. And 2.43 p.m. At 2.43 p.m. Because the film tells us this. Right. And we start off with, um, you know, a significant, uh, I don't know, recurring archetype throughout many horror movies in that the morally ambiguous individuals are, um, you know, right from the start slated for death or for, at the very least, turmoil. Um, in regards to, um, we see Sam and Marianne in a hotel, Mm -hmm. um,
1: post coitus, uh, we can assume
0: it alludes to post coitus as they are both getting dressed and discussing, um, their intent and their, uh, their intent to run off together and their passions for one another and their Mm -hmm. longing to finally be able to be together and it uh, really does a good job establishing the um, motive that would cause the uh, the entirety of the movie to be set into motion with uh, Sam talking to Marianne and kind of um, being... Oh, uh, he, he's re- remorseful for the fact that he has all these alimony payments to pay to his ex-wife, and right. that being a major reason why they can't run off together. And Marianne is very distraught by this, and is you know continually trying to say, "Hey, you know, I don't care about that. I love you. Let's let's
1: do this." Right. And um, horror nerd, uh movie nerd fact number one of the day, besides Anthony Perkins and Janet Lee and/or Lays. Uh, film history. Uh, this movie is historic for... I'll get to that part later. I talked about it a little bit in our first video. Uh, in this movie, we see, for the first time in an American film, uh, an unmarried couple in the same bed. Up until this time, wasn't allowed.
0: Scandalous.
1: Scandalous. And Marian's in just, like, a brassiere. Which, by today's standards, is still very, very covered up. But oh, that's, that, that's modest. Yeah. That, <laughs> that's, like going out to eat where basically Mm -hmm. right but in 1960 when the film codes were just like changing roughly that time period hitchcock pushed as far as as he could got some pushback from the studio but ended up getting his way and you know we got a historic shot of an unmarried couple who we can easily assume just had uh unmarried sex right shocking extramarital or Pre-marital, premarital coitus? coitus? Ooh, in 1960? No, no, that Jesus is Christ. unbiblical. We don't do that here. We do not condone that. Not in American film. <laughs> and Hitchcock said, "Well, I studied in Germany. I can get away with it." So he did. Right, cool. Whatever. europeans they they have always been pushing the limits there. Exactly. So we get that whole scene and um, there's this very specific line that I think we both wrote down because Marion's trying to be sexy with Sam and he says something along the lines of licking stamps. I forget what, what his line is. Oh, no, he's talking about like, what are, you know, are you going gonna to help me send off the, 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 the alimony checks? Are you going to lick the stamps? And she, and, and she gets sexy. is like, I can lick the stamps. I'll lick the stamps. Ooh. And Ooh. It's, like, it's like, oh, that's <laughs> supposed to be sexy? No. 1960 sexy was very different. Yeah. Very different. I guess guys with baggage have always really attracted women. I guess so. Because, I mean, Marion, uh, first of all, she could do better. N- she could. Not that Sam is not a babe, because Sam Loomis, pretty hot for 1960. Attractive man, right? He's a good-looking clean cut dude and as we see later He is willing to fight for his woman and does he goes goes above and beyond he gets He says aggressive words to people the the dedication is there it is very much there But But also girl you're getting with a man who's getting divorced who has alimony
0: checks, right? Well, and you know also I'd like to like to kind of pose a point of curiosity for me is you know in this time before the internet Mm-hmm. How did this woman who lives in Phoenix, Arizona, yeah. who is working as a secretary at a real estate office, right. uh, get into this affair with a man who was recently married, living somewhere in California? And um, you know, where did this start? How did it begin? Um, you know, did they did they
1: do Tinder by mail? Yeah. Some, like, carrier pigeons back and forth with just, like, romantic sexting language for the 1960s. Ooh. Could you imagine phone sex in Morse Code? Oh, my God. Phone sex and Oh. You're sweating now. Daddy, I am heating up. Shit. Ooh, my God. Dash, dash, dot, dot. (coughs) Dash. Ooh, and then two dots. Ooh. Ooh, Dot, dot, dot. Dash, dash, dash. Let me know what I just said in Morse Code, because I have no idea, and I hope that it was filthy. I hope it was, like, Porn star level of today's standards, filthy. Truly scandalous. I don't get locked I can't spread it. Ooh, spread it. Oh my God. Things you can say to your partner and to butter on toast. I'm really <laughs> into that. Oh, that's so great. Melton. Melton? Would you say that to your partner? No. Okay. It's just spreading just, it, just get from- melting. Well, this took a detour that I was definitely not expecting, but also kind of prepared for. You're welcome. Based off the first one, when we got to the microphone hair, I, you know what. Right. <laughs> we were there. So. <laughs> moving on. Moving on. So they have chit-chatted. She will lick the stamps. She's into it. We now
0: have a motive for um, the opportunity that is to come in the next scene. So, for some reason she's taking a lunch break at 2
1: p.m. A lunch break that's long enough for her to go to a hotel, have sex, and get back to work in time. Right. Well, that's crazy. It must be right around the corner. Uh, yes, or her job had a, a
0: great schedule for her. She, she's familiar with real estate. She's a secretary. That is true. You know, so who, who knows? Neither, <laughs> neither here nor there. However, she is both. And yes. so, um, we go to Marianne's office where she gets back to work. And, um, you know, we can tell that Marianne is uh, discontent with her situation. She's not happy with her job. And she goes and she um, is having to put up with uh, this rich guy, Tom Cassidy, who comes in and he is just the biggest swinging dick in Phoenix. And, you know, he's a, presumably a, a, an oil mogul. I believe so, yes. And he is buying a house for his daughter as a, oh, what's the term? Um, like A dowry? A dowry, yes. He is buying a house for his daughter so that she and her uh, soon-to-be husband can move in and um, is sitting there flirting with Marianne and, mm-hmm. um, you know, swinging that thing around and Talks about how he never carries more cash than he can afford to lose, and he plops down forty thousand dollars in cash.
1: So w- I did not want to do the math in converting forty thousand to current time. Uh, I love doing math, but I did not feel like inflation math would be fun for me for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, so simple and, multiplication, yeah. So an internet source told me that $40,000 in their time today would be roughly $360,000. is not a tiny bit of money. But, like, if you think about it, Marion, who has a pretty, like, cushy life right now, it we can assume she has enough to afford a hotel room on a lunch break just on a whim. Exactly. She has her own place um, so she can afford to live. She's doing just fine. Has a loving sister. She yeah. is
0: I-N-D-E-P-E-N-D-E-N-T.
1: Miss Independent. <laughs> Whatever happened? this Miss... I don't know the words. That Kelly Clarkson song, but some about independence and ladies. That's right. Girl power. Go for it. All for it. So she has what appears to be like a comfortable life and she decides I'm going to risk my cushy life, risk jail time, possibly prison time, my job, so that I can steal this $4,000 to go help a man that I'm in love with who has alimony checks, I, I just I feel like, this is not nitpicking at the film. Marion, is a really bad criminal, which right. is good for her. That's that's a great thing to, to 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 say. What is you doing, baby? Like, girl, you are risking a lot for a man. Like, I don't care how good the dick is, is it worth prison? Ooh, probably not. Well, three hundred and sixty k and the b. That's also true. And, like, a whole new life. But still, you are risking a lot. That is a whole lot. And obviously, it does not turn out well for her. But, as we find out, this is just
0: one of those dominoes being set up. She has to have enough money dangled in front of her from someone that she doesn't Mm -hmm. mind ripping Mm -hmm. off. You know, which, you know, this is why Mr. Cassidy is such a dick. Right. And,
1: um, you know... I'm, I'm, I'm curious... When do you think Marion decides to steal the money? Is it when he's talking to her, when he sets it down, or when Mr. Lowry tells her that she's going to be the one who drops it off? At what point do you think in her mind she is stealing it? Because I'm fairly certain that by the time that she leaves her work, she knows that she's stealing it. Because the next thing that we see is her packing a very light amount of clothing, mind you. Right. Packing very lightly. And then... Well, she's, she's got plenty of money to buy more. I guess that is true. Because if know. a car only cost you eight hundred dollars, I can only imagine how much like how little a pair of shoes costs. Right. But we will get into that. Couple of poodle dresses. It's oh, a good poodle dress. We don't see a single goddamn poodle dress in this movie. That's true.
0: This is on the ass end of the poodle dress. Dad. That is so
1: unfortunate. Now yeah, really if, sucks. Now, if mother wore a poodle
0: skirt oh, would no, you that, be into it i would be way into that i would be into norman wearing a poodle skirt there is
1: nothing i want to see more than norman bates and a poodle skirt someone someone make that happen for me let's see it please <laughs> that would be send it to us beautiful but i think we skipped over a very important character absolutely
0: crucial and she is the most monumental cinema icon that I have identified in yeah. my entire
1: life. I can't think of a single character that I love more who I think is underrated, underused, and... <sighs> underappreciated? Underappreciated in so many ways. People look at this film, they see Marion, Norman, Sam, maybe Lila, who I thought was named Lana up until three weeks ago. Lana! <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> We, are, we got Arbogast
0: the, 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 the private eye.
1: Yes, we have the sheriff, we have the cop, we have the really bad salesman, the creepy businessman, Mr. Lowry, the boss, all these characters. All
0: of whom makes more of an impact on the first go-around than
1: the critical, the monumental, the unsung hero, Teddy's Wife. Yes. I can't express to you enough how important Teddy's Wife is to this film. I I I just and you know honestly as we've
0: we've discussed it and we've discussed Teddy's wife at length. Oh, this, we have talked about her for a while. We adore her. She is she is truly magnificent. And um, you know, in addition to this character, so um, just to uh, give a little bit of an expose here on Teddy's wife as a whole. Teddy's wife is the other secretary at. Mr. Lowry's real estate agency. Yes. The entirety of her role in this movie and the entirety of her
1: character are based around two facts. Yes, she has two factual statements that are 100% true, and this is literally all we know about this woman. She says,
0: Hey, darling, you seem depressed. How about you have some of these drugs I got? They're great. You take them and then you don't care anymore.
1: They're tranquilizers, <laughs> and then so Besides, she's pushing drugs on her coworker. Great, great. So there's her first and I'd say most defining character trait. Actually, no, I think no. the second one is more to de- like defining and really sums up just a lot about and the societal society. the the societal view of
0: women at this point in time, and maybe yes. you know that is uh, part of why. Um, Marianne is so inclined to take the money is to mm-hmm. show that she's not the same. She's not Maybe, yes. she's not every woman. She's not just Teddy's wife. not just Teddy's wife. And so this this woman goes on the she offers her coworker drugs and she goes on and on about Teddy and what Teddy's doing and how he's doing this and that.
1: Yeah. So the only things that we know about her in her first scene, which this is the only time that she's on camera, mind you. Only time we see her. We never hear her name. No, we do hear her name in the voiceover. Right, okay, in this scene. We never hear yeah, her name no, when she, she's on camera. Yeah, we no, do has, not have that direct association. Yeah, no, she is never given a name while she is being viewed. But our second factual statement is that she is married to a man named Teddy. So she takes tranquilizers and tries to push him off on Miriam. Not push off, just off her kindly. And then that she's married to a man named Teddy. Teddy, a character that we don't see in the film, we find out his name before we find out. Her name. And we hear his name multiple times. She's always
0: talking about Teddy. So, it Her is... life revolves around Teddy and tranquilizers. tranquilizers.
1: Yeah, just TNT. That's all that she cares about. She oh, is she's the dynamite.
0: dynamite.
1: <laughs> I hate us. But, yes. So, I mean, we could really talk about Teddy's wife for a while. because All day. If you really think about it, if Marion would have just taken the tranquilizer... She would have chilled out. Would have chilled out, wouldn't have stolen that. The money would have realized... Hey, the money would have made it to the bank. She would been like, I got... Digmatized, this is too much. Yeah, you know, Sam's gonna
0: take care of the alimony and I'll have him later. It's cool. I'll just be chilling. Would have never went on a
1: road trip, bought a car, and got killed in the shower. Teddy's wife gave her an out that she politely declined. Politely declined, and that was her seal of fate. She had no chance. And Teddy's wife tried her hardest to save her. Right. Come on, daughter. did. <laughs> it's crazy how underappreciated Teddy's wife truly is. Yep. She she really is a star. Side note, in case you were curious because we haven't said it, I believe, can tell you for sure, I think her name is Carolyn or Caroline. Can't confirm. Because the movie only says it once and it doesn't care. Uh, right. And it's in a voiceover that, technically speaking, we aren't fully sure is if Ray- that's actually happening, if that's just me and imagining things. We'll get there. So... Crazy <laughs> that the most important character is so underappreciated by Hitchcock, he didn't even realize that he was sitting on a gold mine
0: right there. Nope, he didn't take an advantage, and we didn't even get a Teddy's Wife spinoff. No, and
1: I would have loved that. She deserves her own series. I honestly, let's pitch it to lost. NBC. Okay, I'm down. Teddy's Wife, just full of tranquilizers. And we never actually see Teddy. And that's it. Just tranquilizers. Have tranquilizers you, and real estate. Have you watched Will and Grace ever? No. Okay. So I knew <laughs> the answer was going to be no. I still wanted to ask just in case. Okay. i like to give you a chance to like prove me wrong. Fair enough. So Karen Walker is a great character in there. Uh, she's like the best character. And she's married to a guy named Stan. And we never see Stan on camera. He's in a lot of scenes and she speaks to him frequently. Never see him. They should do that with Teddy's wife. So it's kind of like Wilson from Home Improvement. Yes. Okay. Well, except for Wilson, we at least see his eyes. Yeah, you don't You don't and see his... I think the most you see of Stan is maybe like his fat, fat, fat leg. Mm. His most defining character face is that he's rich and that he's fat. Thick. Oh, he was a thick boy, according <laughs> to what the show told us, because we never saw him. He so okay. was great. So...
0: After this monumental office scene with the ever glorious Teddy's wife, God, so we man. go to see Mary Ann um, packing her suitcase, and um, cannot trust this very enough. Very light packer, very light packer, and she's sitting there, and she's she's side eyeing the she's she's looking at the cash, and yeah, she was know, like
1: giving herself a chance like back out. She's like I can still say no. Right, this is, this is
0: you know, she's, she's getting to the point of no return, but she, you know, at this point, the plan is solidified. We see that she is set on running away, and that she knows what she can use this cash for. Exactly.
1: And once she picks up that tiny, cannot stress enough how tiny that suitcase was, <laughs> she goes down and gets in her car, and from that point on, she has changed her life forever, and she cannot turn back. Right. I mean, she literally could, but we've already seen that she's not great at making choices. No. And her choices never become better throughout the film. We will get to it. She's a bad
0: criminal. And so, you know, then she goes down and she's starting to leave and she's kind of stuck in the the bumper-to-bumper Phoenix traffic of the 1960s. Yeah, she's out of light. And she sees, walking across the road,
1: who else but Mr. Cassidy and Mr. Lowry. Yes. And... Mr. Lowry looks back a bit confused, and she gives like a little like "hi, I'm caught," kind of face, but and then he just walks off. All he knows is that
0: she had a headache and wants to go home. Who knows if she's running down to CVS to get some ibuprofen?
1: Exactly. There's a chance he has no reason to suspect that she has mysteriously stolen the money. No. And as she's uh, driving, she uh, starts.
0: Um, she starts. Well, this is when I guess. Uh, it would be good to note that Hitchcock starts in with his masterful use of sound. And, yes. you know, the, the um, violins and some, there is some uh, ang- just, just music that truly evokes anxiety that starts to play as she r- is coming to terms with the fact that she knows she is doing something that could get her into serious trouble, but she's in it to win it. She's going to anyway. And so, she hits the road, and she's headed for California, and she, um, you know, starts getting droopy-eyed and decides to pull over and sleep. And when she wakes up, she gets a... or Well, what she wakes up to is a knock-knock-knock from
1: a police officer on the window. Unless my far too many notes are wrong, there's some slight voiceover between... Before we get to the cop scene. So... I don't remember what that one is specifically. I mostly remember the rain part for the voiceover, but apparently there was something. I'm guessing that's probably when they Mr. first Lowry. discover. And I think that's actually when he says She's, Teddy's okay. wife's name. I think okay. that's the moment. Okay. And Karen, did that, you hear what she went? In a yeah, that's why, why I forget it, because I was so pissed off that they didn't give her a name until that moment. I was just like, fuck you, movie. Right. Which, that's the only moment in Psycho. <laughs> Let it be known. You will <laughs> never hear me say that about Psycho again besides Teddy's wife. So, as she's uh, woken up by this cop and this awkward interaction ensues. Very awkward, because once again, Marion is such a bad criminal, she does not know how to act casually. Mm -hmm. She is very bad at it. Like, he's talking to her and she's like, do I look like I've done something wrong? While she's suspiciously sitting there. Right, she's just
0: two midgets in a
1: trench coat at this point. It's insane how bad she is at this. Like, you made a choice, girl. Stick to it. Right. Well, and and steel face. Come on, chick. Exactly. Like, you have committed. Do your best. Right. Don't constantly ask, does it seem like there's something wrong? Am I acting suspicious? Well, yes, you are, bitch. You're acting very suspicious. Not to mention you're
0: sleeping on the side of the road. Well, I got tired. Is that illegal? Not exactly. Let me see your driver's license.
1: So she turns... This (laughs) is insane. Would never
0: fly by today's standards in regards to any interaction with the police. Not possible. No. She turns her back and completely conceals the entirety of the contents of her purse while she fishes around, around her stolen cash for her driver's license. And I'm just venturing to guess that anybody who does something like that today really runs a hefty risk of getting, getting
1: at least a cap in the ass. It's crazy to watch like now and look at that scene and specifically this scene and the car salesman scene that we'll get to soon it's so weird to look at them by today's standards because the way that they're handled would never happen today nobody gets the benefit of the doubt these days it's crazy too many crazies out there too many psychos clearly i see you i respect you so she's acting suspicious but the cop can't keep her and I think she asks if she's being detained. I think she says that. Am Maybe. I being detained? And he's like, oh well, <laughs> no. Like, My notes certainly say so. Like, I mean, I feel like. I did see you turn your entire back to me and take a long time to find your license, but you're not doing anything illegal, so go ahead and drive away. Right. I didn't
0: see that, I don't know, AK-47 and those that packet of PCP you're hiding in there. Oh, I wish. Get, get on out of here. Get, I, go on, girl. Get. I didn't see that
1: entire bottle of tranquilizers that you stole from Teddy's wife. <laughs> not anything at all. Do you have a prescription for Vicodin or are those Teddy's wives? I need to know. So she starts to leave and she's watching him in the rear view um, mirror, and then he veers off, so she finally calms down a bit. And th- this happens in this scene well, all of the driving scenes that Marion does. Uh, I really love the camera work in it because it's not like super impressive or like crazy, but it's just this still camera on her face. She's to the right or left of the screen, I forget which. And then you just see like the Obviously, not a real set moving behind her, which I always love in movies. Right. I love that. Well, shit. and
0: and at that point, you know, I, I think that I I like those those car scenes as well because it allows the um, ambiance to do a lot of the talking and the development for the movie. Right, you know, the sound is what makes you feel. Um, her expression, her acting, the mm-hmm. the way she is uh, is. Moving the wheel in an unrealistic manner.
1: Oh yeah, moving the wheel while the car's still clearly driving straight. What? I I love that. It's way too much play. Well, I guess there's there's too much play in the
0: wheel, so she decides to go off to a car dealership a couple of exits after she sees this cop
1: get off. It's definitely for mechanical reasons, not because you're a crazy criminal who's already been suspected by the cops. Right, Mary, you're so bad at this. She needs a new car. She needs local license plates. Did you turn into Fran Drescher's mom from The Nanny for a second? What just happened? Just for a second. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So we next see Marion go to a car salesman shop. Car shop. Car dealership? Car dealership. Car dealership. Used car dealership. Yes. And she's waiting, gets a newspaper, which becomes important because she will soon use that to hide her money. And like I say, dominoes. You know, yes.
0: the attention to detail throughout this entire movie is very good because it I is, have to agree. The, the way she gets the newspaper is very nonchalant. However, it does serve a fairly significant role.
1: It does. Um, should I talk about MacGuffins now or wait till we get to Marion's, everything post-Marion? Hit him with the MacGuffins. Okay, so MacGuffins are one of my favorite uh, devices in film history and Hitchcock famously coined this term in like 1939. And uh, it's essentially a person, item, event that is important to the characters in the world, but as an audience, you don't care about it. Not very but, significant. But it is the driving force of most of the plot. In this film, uh, for the first 30 minutes, it is this $40,000. McGuffin, the call to action. Yes. It's actually, I'd say like really the first like half, because really it's up until the detective scene. After that is when the MacGuffin becomes Marion. Right, and the money really, the money is, is, is fairly insignificant at that point. It's like barely been mentioned. Right. So this plot device, this isn't the first time that Hitchcock used it, but I think it's one of his best uses, and I think overall it's one of the best uses in cinematic history besides... Frodo and The Ring. The Ring or Star Wars and the Death Star plan slash R2-T2 as a whole. That exhaust vent. Yeah. I mean, and it's still used widely now. I think it happens in any kind of sci-fi movie. I mean, if you watch The Fifth Element, you could consider the Four Little Rocks MacGuffins because we don't care about them. They don't do anything yeah. for, for, for us, but the characters really care uh, to the point where Bruce Willis sticks his hand inside of a blue alien's body and pulls them out at one point. And I'd that shit sucked me up for a while. I'm not surprised you do. I'm sure there's a blue alien's body somewhere lying around here. Right in that closet. Well, that's why i don't go in the closet that's right that's why i stay out of the closet double padlock lgbtqia stay out it's cool <laughs> um <laughs> i wanted to give one tiny psa because once again i'm so sorry about mommy dearest <laughs> just apologize one more time you, you've got to earn that back yes but no the this is another way that the hitchcock has influenced all of cinema and I read an interesting um, article today about how Psycho influenced Star Wars, which I have watched both several times. I don't see the direct correlation. Then I read uh, Then I read this and I'm like, okay, makes sense because the Death Star plans really are just a MacGuffin for that entire first film. Okay. Truly I'd are. I'd like to see that article. I will send it to you as soon as we are done recording. Let's do it. It is great. So, car dealership has the newspaper she was waiting for car guy to come back to her, and she sees the cop across the street. She's the cop, and she's like, "Oh shit! I gotta act casual." So then she does everything but act casual.
0: Well, and she she doesn't even do the classic newspaper. Yeah, no, she doesn't, doesn't pull up the newspaper something. and disguise her face. And then the the cop says, "Well, the car looks familiar, but I can't see her past that newspaper. But I guess I better go on."
1: Right. So she's fully in view. Dealership man comes back, car, so then comes back and is like, oh, I see your plates are from out of state. Burger, burger, burr, burr And then she's like, I just want a new car. Right. Like,
0: hey, fella. I'm on a road trip. You know, I'm just, I'm just out here and I'm looking for a new car and I don't got time to wait. I don't want no muss. I don't want no fuss. How much is it for me to roll off the lot today in that car over there with this as a trade-in? And he says, you got the pink slip? She says, yes, sir, I do. It's in the glove box. Let's get this rolling. And no red flags no credit checks no
1: nothing it's just all right man here you go so she gives him the 800 dollars, which sounds insane we oh. did the math ish and it's about to $6,000 five to six thousand dollars five to six thousand on top of the trade-in okay so i guess it's not like crazy but at, at that time given uh this was still pre-full-on feminism so this dealer for the time period, not saying I agree with the stock rest at all. It's just like, hey, here's a woman with $5,000 who's just buying a car on the spot who's saying that she needs it right now because she has to go. Doesn't raise any red flags at all. Didn't even check to see if the bills were... Cons-
0: oh, what? What's the word? Sequential. Didn't care. Nope. It's
1: Could crazy. be drug money. He doesn't know. It's crazy. So then she... Gives him the money. Gets in her her car. I'm assuming at some point someone put her bags in the back seat. Oh, because he says, oh, you forgot your luggage. Oh, and she says, gee, thanks, mister. So he throws it in there. The cop walks over and they both just stare at her suspiciously while still not stopping her as she drives off. She skirts off. Like every man in this movie up until Norman is just suspicious of her or an obstacle in her way but they do literally nothing to stop her.
0: Right. They're they're
1: just really not very um they're always like uh, they're not with it. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're just inept at uh, noticing things. They are unobservant and when they do observe something that's clearly suspicious, they're just like, it, "You're a lady. go they're, on." They're inactive. Yeah. This there ain't nothing that
0: this little white woman could be doing wrong. Just let her get on her way. What are we doing standing in
1: her way? Very much like Lizzie Borden back in the 1800s. Oh, she couldn't have killed her parents. She's a lady. Right. Crazy. <laughs> Side note, you need to watch the movie Lizzie starring Chloe Sevigny. It's bonkers. Kristen Stewart's in it too. It's insane. Does she show emotion? Kristen Stewart? Yeah. She does when her character's mom dies, and after that she's pretty good. But before that, it's all monotone. Okay, but you that's see, on par with her performance, you see Kristen Stewart uh, goes full nude, Chloe Sevigny full nude, lesbian barn sex scene, uh, and then you see the murders happen. And I'm pretty sure that Chloe Sevigny playing Lizzie Borden has an orgasm as she's killing her dad. You had me at lesbian barn sex scene. It's Bonkers, you need to watch it honestly. as should you all So Marion drives off the lot. No one stops her and then she's driving driving driving. It starts and getting rainy her paranoia is
0: Insurmountable it's heightened in, to the highest it can possibly be and this is a point where you know it's a very a very good um, device um, very masterfully done. Where the voices are, we don't know if that is the um, you know the audible embodiment of her actual paranoia, paranoia, or if that is actually um, you know what is going on. If if that is you know Cassidy, what did he say? Oh, I'm gonna oh. dra- drag her out by her. Oh, um, I'll replace it with her fine
1: soft flesh. Fine soft flesh. That is right. What a man. Ooh. What a man! What a man! What a <laughs> mighty fine man! No, he is not. Ooh. It is so creepy. Also, at this point, I wrote down how old is Marion? Does the movie say her age? I've not. Really I don't looked. think it does. I'm I'm very curious actually as to how old she is because she's holding a steady job and can support herself and has an apartment of her own. So I assume she's at least eighteen, if not older. But she's in a relationship with a. Mildly married men, and people didn't get married at such a young age Of that? No, yes they did. What are we talking about? Yeah, no, they were getting married at like, like 16 back like then. 12. Yeah. Six-year-old brides. Dowries. Yeah. Dowries. <laughs> we're still in the decade of dowries. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just curious how old she is for this film, because it's really not clear. No. It, it is rather ambiguous, but um, I
0: assume... Uh, I just kind of assume that she's somewhere in her mid-twenties and just really has about the emotional capacity of a 16-year-old at this point. And the decision-making skills of a toddler.
1: Oh, that's apparent. I see money, I want money. What What are you you doing? Give me money. Boyfriend wants money. It's crazy. Whatever, Miriam. Get your shit together. Get your life together. Okay, so. Well, there's also a great scene as she's driving with the voices where she starts to, like, smirk. And she's smiling because she thinks, at this point, you know, I don't
0: have the same car. I'm out of state. There's no way that they can find me. There's no paper trail. This is the home. It's home free. Exactly. You know, I'm on my way. I've got this. And so, you know, then it starts to rain. It starts to rain. And that is indicative of anybody who is uh, familiar with literary archetypes and um, the just the way the stories have always been written, is that anytime somebody encounters water, some
1: change is quickly inbound. And Marian gets this two times. She, well, actually, technically, she gets it three times. She gets it when it's raining, she gets the shower scene, and then she gets it when her body is dumped into a giant, well, a pond, yep. I assume.
0: Rolled into a lagoon.
1: So she gets all the transformation by water scenes. No other character does. Well, she, no she, she do definitely that. goes through
0: the most transformation. She
1: really does. Yeah.
0: Oh, my God, poor girl. What a, well, what a she, Renaissance woman. She, she did it to herself. She did. She, she could she, have just she,
1: taken the tranquilizer.
0: She chose it all. She could have taken a Vicodin and just gotten over It's
1: Crazy. Oh man, I need some Vicodin after this. I have never had a Vicodin. You know, I don't think I have either. Alright. So, Vicodin party, right? Clearly, that's what we do with our lives. Everybody's doing Vicodin after this. Yeah, duh. So, we finally see Bates Motel. And if I remember correctly, you get a tiny little image of Bates' house in the background, but it's real, like, background shot. It's just like, oh, yeah, there's a house up there. Right, it's insignificant at first. She's rolling into the motel.
0: She needs a place to crash so that this cop doesn't come across her her car on the side of the highway again. It's crazy. So as she drives up, um, she... Now, does she have to honk to get Norman out there? I, I believe
1: she does. She does, because she... Pulls up, she sees Mother's body in the window, and then... She she sees Mother in the window. Well, yes, Mother, because Mother's definitely alive. No spoilers yet. What is happening? What happened? So So she sees a figure, and she starts talking, and then no one comes down the steps. And runs down with his umbrella and says, Oh, gee, lady,
0: I wasn't expecting you. Um, Not too many people come around here, these parts. You know, after they move the
1: highway, business has really been hurting. Okay, did you just become a shark from West Side Story? What is. That? I'm enjoying this accent journey that we're taking. This is great. They're abundant. <clears throat> so she goes in, inside and they talk a l- little bit. She has to uh, sign in and she gives a fake name. Because. Right. I guess that's the one good choice she has made as a criminal. Arguably. Well, I guess getting though, a new card was you, a
0: good choice, too. You know, I will say, though, that this is when she begins <laughs> I mean, lying. This does lead downfall. Her lies. Had she, you know, arguably, if she had just been honest and friendly with him the whole time, she could have avoided a whole lot of trouble for herself.
1: Yeah. If she could have just, like, flirted and, and, and talked, she could have possibly never even had to, like, register. Take note, ladies. You should always be honest. Yeah. Just be honest and no one's going to kill you. <laughs> That goes for everyone, but if but if you find yourself to be a woman on the run because you stole money for some man, just know that honesty will let you live. You're right. still gonna to go to prison. The truth will, will set live. you free. From death. Not the right. eyes of the law though. Or not prison. Yes. Like you're definitely going to prison. Or just any black style. Good luck. Right try to find yourself a good old Nikki. Or a big red. She seems cool. Yeah, until she got slocked. Well, yeah, that is true. Then her head got shaved at one point. Oh, I didn't watch that after that season. Yeah, that season, that episode where I was like, no, I'm good. It's getting to be too real for me. It got so, rough. And I couldn't handle it. Anymore. But then that chick got hit by the bus and you're just like, oh, yes. I, like, <laughs> by the cancer patient? Right. Yes. And then she just hits her and she's
0: like, you are always a bitch. <laughs> I love it again. Right. Like, it. It that, is, that is karma in its finest. Ugh. Coming back to get her. So uh, she checks in with a fake name and, uh, you know, Norman makes this really cheesy joke about, you know, you've got some stationery with Bates Motel on it to make your friends envious. And uh, she goes and checks into her room, and you can see her really being uh, protective with her posture in regards to her purse, and, um, you know, that's not suspicious at all. That doesn't make anybody wonder what's in your purse and kind of make them want to get it.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, and also, before she goes to her room, Norman invites her to come back for dinner. Mm, And this is the first time we see his wall of fucking birds, which... I'm sorry, Marion Crane. I don't want to continually talk shit about how you've made terrible choices, but you keep making them. When you see the wall of birds, get in your car and go, girl. Right. Like, yeah, it's raining. You can just stay in your car. You slept. Dude, in the, the hobby is playing with dead bodies. That's like, that's bad. not. No. and I'm not having shit. on like taxidermist, but I will. No, tell it's a great profession. I'll, and I'll tell you it's this: a wonderful art. If it's your, your your hobby, I don't trust you in my it for life. Fun? No. That's. Yeah. We're it's surprisingly get... ineffective or inexpensive mm, very true <laughs> we're gonna get canceled by taxidermists oh. on our second episode <laughs> right and i'm cool that it's fine they can stuff it it's okay <sighs> okay so she gets the invite and he and she says okay yeah sure um also at this point i wrote down that anthony perkins is Bay. I don't use young people terms, but I know that means something positive, right? It, it means before, before any, any
0: anything else. else, right?
1: So they're your love,
0: right? And and so you know, obviously, you had a lot of adoration for him up until this point, um, right? Because you know, like we said, leading um, into everything, that uh, he does a great job at um, really putting forth this boyish innocence and this um, this really jovial and attractive um, front. That right. you know, he's he's a nice guy. He's sweet. He's kind. He's just here to uh, make a living, running this motel with his sickly mother. You know, right. who who can't relate and who who wouldn't be into such a
1: solid man? Yeah, because upon our first introduction, I mean, I guess we don't really know about the sickly mother until what happens after this, which is one of my yeah. other minor complaints in the film. We'll talk about it, but uh, everything that we learn about Norman. Throughout the film, really, until the reveal at the end, uh, is a very sad story. Right. Like, every detail. But the parts that we get here about the hotel not doing very well because the, so the, the highway changed. And then when we find out soon about the sickly mother. And then later when we get the sheriff's expo dump. It's just like, Jesus Christ. This guy's having terrible has bike. Break. So for the majority of this film, you're either rooting for Marion. And then when you can't root for her, you're, you're rooting for... Norman to like maybe escape mother right he, that would be cool for him because he, he's had a shit life mostly because of mother from what we are to understand because he's been tied to her he has to take care of her right so you really feel for this guy so you know
0: as they're as they're talking and you know they're talking about his hobby um you know and that the wonderful line a man should have a hobby in regards to his uh, stuffing of dead birds um, which he makes a point that he only does birds because they're, they're what, they're petite, they're something, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of creepy and there's yeah. some solid foreshadowing to be had there for those who are, uh, particularly eagle-eyed and, yes. um... Norman loves dead things. And as he is elaborating a bit on his relationship with his mother, uh, Mary really oversteps her boundaries by provoking mother and talking about um, maybe he should put her
1: someplace. Wait, girl, you skipped a part that's important for the development of the mother character. After the invite, Marion goes to her room and she overhears Norman and mother fighting. Right. So that's the first time that we hear mother's voice. Which further cements the fact that Mother is
0: a real person. And she's there and she is uh, quite insufferable and hard to deal with. And that that really further solidifies and um, applies a concreteness to uh, Norman's poor um, poor Norman,
1: you know. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it's it's brilliant and I love it. And I also have questions as to how Marion can hear Norman's mother and Norman from that distance that's a vocal training you know she's really really projecting clearly I mean he can obviously I don't want to get into like the fine fine details because that's stupid but I've always been like how does she hear him and also is Marion I did write down is Marion psychic can she just like hear people's thoughts is right. that what is happening here right and, and maybe we would have
0: found out if uh, she hadn't taken a shower Maybe. Hygiene leads to death.
1: That's what this movie basically taught me. I'm never taking another one. I haven't for months. <laughs> so, um, as the voiceover is happening, we get our first like full shot of the Bates house, which I think is its own character in the film. There's a lot of mystery around the house, and what we do see of it is very, very small. We see two bedrooms, the foyer, a little bit of the kitchen in the fruit cellar. That's all we get to see. Right. So they kept it very mysterious. And I think that the first shot we see, there's like a lightning bolt involved, and it's like lit up by the sky and it's dramatic and great. And I love the Bates house so much. I, I wish more of the film took place there as opposed to the motel. But I feel like if they did change it at all, I would be. I, I would hate it.
0: Well, and and maybe you know that's that's a stylistic choice, and maybe I'm reading into it a little bit too much here. But by only showing a couple of the rooms of the house, we're only seeing a couple of the the parts of Norman's psyche. Right. You know, there is much more going on there, and there is mystery to be had. So you know, in that respect, um, less is more, and the stylistic choice of not really having too much take place in the house leaves right. a bit of that mystique and that mystery because we see the house from the outside, and it's a rather big place. There are plenty more rooms to explore, but we don't get to.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think the fact that two of the most important scenes of, I'd say, the four most iconic parts of this film do take place inside the house, but we're still shown right. so little, I think it's really smart because we're only shown the parts of the house that involve murder. So, the only part of Norman's. Murder that, that we really get to see is murder. Love it. Well, minus Norman's room, and we will get to that because that room freaks me out. Well, and we another kind the... of play takes place in there. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, my body's making sounds. We'll sing. Just a little bit. So then, uh, Norman comes back and oh no first Marion tries to hide the money and she's real shit at it right well and that's when the newspaper comes into play yeah wraps it up in the newspaper boom Hide in plain sight nobody will know nobody can see it nobody will ever guess but first other iconic moment in film history involving a toilet Marion earlier when she bought the car because she can't do simple math had to write down 40,000 minus 800 equals thirty nine thousand and two on the $100. stationery
0: to make her friends envious
1: so that's crazy Mm -hmm. so then she crumbles it up throws it away she tears it yeah tears it up and then flushes it down the toilet and that's the first time in an American film that we get to see the contents of a flushing toilet yes and
0: mystery you know that was I guess a little bit of uh, some necessary uh, that is that is the first time that we see some I don't know plot uh, a plot dump where you know, that is something that was unnecessary that had to happen yeah. for a necessary purpose. Yeah. Because you know, it does come back.
1: Very true. So then she wraps up her money in a newspaper, opens up drawers, and then lays it on top of the dresser. What was the point of opening up the drawers then? She's just a shit criminal. She's a really bad criminal. <laughs> which, which is such a compliment. But in this film, it's like, girl, like you. You are actively choosing death at this point. You are actively making every wrong choice. I can't... You suck, Marion. I can't want more... We're just talking shit on a famous character, but I can't want more for you than what you want for yourself at this point. Right. You've got to be
0: doing yourself some favors. Exactly. Like like, if you want to win the lottery, you
1: got to buy a ticket. Exactly. And at this point, not only have you not bought a ticket, you have burned down the gas station holding the tickets and moved to where there are no gas stations around you. Right. You've made every choice leading to what's happening to you. Mm. And I love you because you're a great character. But also, you're really fucking bad at being a criminal. And you chose to be a criminal for no reason other than some good dick. You garbage. You straight garbage. I hate it. Garbage. So she hides the money in plain sight in a wrapped up newspaper, because that's not suspicious at all. Goes back to the lobby of the hotel. And Norman's like, oh, we can eat in this back room, not inside the house. It's more homey here when there's a home up there. And Marion's like, yeah, sure, cool, why not? Right, sounds like a great plan, dude. Because
0: obviously your mom doesn't want me here. Exactly. It's weird. You're a grown-ass
1: man. Getting yelled at by your mom, taking it like a little bitch. Put her someplace. (sighs) And that is when she really sort of, well, it's either that or when she says her real name after signing Fake name. Right. Well, and that's that's where the lying and the, the, the garbage
0: criminal activity really comes to, to start to bite her in the butt. Yeah. Um, because by saying the wrong name, you know, Norman had obviously taken note of this attractive young woman who came in the middle of the night to a right. very unpopular hotel where they go weeks and weeks without any tenants or guests. Sorry. And so, you know, obviously he looked at the guest register and took note of this woman's name because he likes her he's interested right. and and um, you know he's too busy taking uh, taking uh, care of his mother and this motel to really be taking place in any of those smoke signal tinder
1: uh, mm-hmm. activities that right. hooked Santa Marianne yeah. off in the first place there are no pigeons flying back and forth to the Bates Motel right they not just the they ones. just don't stop off there the, the Pony Express does not stop by and the ones that do get stuffed clearly those poor pigeons
0: right so, you know, then she uh, is inconsistent with her lies, and as she's talking to uh, Norman, she kind of comes to terms with the fact that she's done something wrong and she needs to make amends with it. And I think that there, while she's talking to Norman, she decides to go and take the money back and to apologize and to try and straighten things out to at least mitigate the most of her losses. You think so? I think so.
1: Oh, I don't. I think she's fully going to get that dick. I mean, I I do know that like we see some like, what could be remorseful moments in a scene that we'll get to in a second because it's my biggest complaint about this film and it's literally one second of film it's the one thing that I think it, like, I might have complaints about this film but I think it's a perfect film minus literally one second and we will get to it soon, mm-hmm. but no like I I always assumed that Marion was still gonna go, to Sam. And let him decide kind of like, hey, I stole this money and I'm here for you. What are we going to do?
0: Well, I think that through, you know, through talking to to Norman about his struggles and how he has been dedicated to taking care of his mother and to taking care of the motel, despite all the hardship, Mm -hmm. she came to realize that, you know, hardship is a part of life. And that's something that everybody's going to have to deal with. So she was coming to terms with the fact that okay, well, I shouldn't have taken this money. That's going to lead to us always having to run from this. So yeah. I need to go and make amends for this. Take you know, take responsibility for my actions and to mitigate the losses and just put up with the hardship. You know, what's meant to be is going to be, and so she needs to you know go and make right. And so I do think that Norman had really inspired a little bit of um, uh, repentance in her. Okay repentance
1: repentance oh, okay. <laughs> um okay i guess i guess we just see those two, that scene slightly differently because i mean i guess sort of because in my mind she's gonna let sam make the choice and most likely sam would be like fucking crazy
0: I can't take this money. It's stolen.
1: Get, get out of out. here. You're
0: crazy. Take that back to the guy who wants to take I already out. owe this chick, you know, a bunch of money. Yeah, I, I, don't I, I don't need to be that. paying this guy a bunch I of money. I can't do
1: this. You crazy right. bitch. I work at a hardware store. Why didn't you ask me first? I live in the back room of a hardware store. Like, this is insanity, girlfriend. What Speaking are you of, doing? what does she seeing? him? He lives in the back room of a hardware I store. I mean, I don't... <laughs> I, I'm <laughs> telling you, it's gotta be Sam Loomis's massive dick. And he knows what to do. Throbbing. Throbbing penile system. That's all that I can possibly think of. Duck. It's crazy. (laughs) All the choices that she makes. And I still love her so much, but God, she is bad at being a criminal. And maybe a little dumb. She's kind of bad at life at this point. She's kind of bad at life. You had a cush life. She's making bad decisions left. But once more, we can't want more for her than she wants for herself.
0: So as they're eating and they're discussing these things and she and Norman are talking and, you know, Norman starts to be uneasy after she starts, you know, really implying or explicitly saying, you know, maybe she's she's a lot to handle. It sounds like you could use some help. Maybe you put her
1: someplace. And that's when Norman says, no, (laughs) no, 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 no. Which is so weird because Norman was just complaining about her, kind of. And I, unless my memory is gone. I think he like vaguely even touches on the topic of putting her somewhere. But the second that somebody else says it, he's like, Who the fuck do you think you are? Right. That's my mother. Right. Back off, bitch. A boy's best friend is his mother. Ooh. Big line. Love that line. This is also the scene where we get everybody goes a little mad. We all go a little mad sometimes. Yes. And it's it's so good. It is. is It's monumental.
0: It truly is. So then we. we kind of get the the feeling that Norman is catching on to her lies. This is when she, you know, starts, she admits her name. She tells him where she's actually from instead mm-hmm. of L.A. as she writes down. Right. And um, this is when Norman says, okay, so this chick has not been honest with me. Right. And, um, you know, starts to uh, be insulted by it. And, you right. Know- and I don't really blame him <laughs> because that is, you know, no one wants to be lied to. No, nobody likes being lied to. You know, no. it's it's always easier to just take the approach of telling the truth, and uh, you know, if if there are some hardships that come with it, you know, as Marianne would come to realize that she should just you know mm-hmm. deal with those hardships. You know, it'll be better in the long run. Right.
1: Now this is where we get the only thing I would have taken out of this film. The the only one second I would have removed, and I think it's literally maybe like. Maybe two seconds. Is that when Norman looks through the wall? Yeah. So, Marianne goes back to her her room. Norman goes and double-checks the registry, and he's like, this bitch is lying. So, he goes back, moves something on the wall so he can look into the first cabin. And he starts peeping. Peeping. Peeping Tom. And that is that tiny, tiny section of film, to me makes Norman appear much more creepy than I think we as the audience are supposed to believe him to be. Because that implies that that's always been there. And he's always had just ample opportunity to peek on whoever, despite there being very few it suggests that he's done that, that before that, that and that that's something people. that he does. Um, and in 1960, you know, peeping toms were, you know, vile. They're hey. still vile, but at the time they were held in a much lower regard. Shout out to Vince Vaughn cranking down in the same scene oh, in the remake. Oh my god, are we going to broach on the remake in this? We or... are. Okay, so
0: cranking down.
1: I I almost prefer that scene to this just because if, it makes a little bit more sense. You know, like if you're going to go creepy, just go creepy. What? Let let Vince Von Jerkov to one ex- I think there are 15 frames of Anne Hesch's butt crack. Those are the only two differences in this film besides color. Get down. So we see Norman Bates masturbate And we see a little bit of Anne Hesha's butt crack Because who cracking. didn't want to see Anne Hesha's butt crack for 15 frames? I still want to see it for 30 frames Okay, I don't think When I show you who Anne Hesha is I think you're going to disagree Do you know who she is just off the top of your head? No nope. I think you'll be like Oh, she looks like a young boy and I shouldn't do this Fair enough With an odd haircut who was a lesbian with Ellen DeGeneres, then was caught walking down a hot, hot desert road talking about aliens one day? Okay, that sounds like, like her, a tenacious D song. That her life went crazy. Besides the point, uh, but I do I would say that I almost prefer the Vince Vaughn scene compared to this one because at this point, Vince Vaughn played no one much more creepy. Yeah. Anthony Perkins played a much more charming, kind of so under so the table, and and you yeah, know, so this we weren't, this we weren't supposed section. to see that much behind the curtain. Yeah, at that, that point. tiny section is just <laughs> bothersome. To However, me. I, I will say that that maybe we like uh, to
0: me, I saw a little bit more behind the curtain when she starts suggesting mm-hmm. those things about mother. That's when we start to see that he's not all that he is uh, portrayed is. to be. Right. Yes. So, so we go back to Mary's room, and what do you know? It it's shower time. It is stressful running away with all this money mm-hmm. and dealing mm-hmm. with this guy and his outrageous mother, and getting rained is- it on. It, it is just garbage. I need a shower to unwind. Also, the fact that I'm possibly
1: psychic is really stressing me out. Right? Because I mean, you know, how do you cope with that? I mean especially if she didn't know until she ran away and the first time she heard Mr. Lowry and Teddy's wife's voice. Maybe that's when she first knew. Who knows? Right. Who's to say? We don't know much about Marion's life besides the fact that she's a dumb bitch. Maybe we're only psychic when we're stressing. Who's to say? But then I feel like she would have noticed what's about to happen to her. But who knows? One way or another, she gets in that tub and she starts to scrub a dub dub. Starts to take a shower. And, uh... Fun nerd fact, there are a ton a ton of people because there are so many edits in th- this scene. This 45 second scene, there are over 70 cuts that are hard to actually notice. And now this is actually in a time
0: where they had to physically cut the film in order to make those edits, correct? I
1: believe so. Now that's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. I wonder how many shots it took. I know, let me just real quick, I should have written down his, his name. Oh, it's right here. The editor for this film, who deserves so much credit, is George Tomasini, who... Hitchcock had a habit of... That's Italian-ass name, George Tomasini. I know, right? He had a habit of, like, always working with the same people from, like, the crew standpoint. And he did reuse actors quite a bit. But I'd say that this guy who i did not win the oscar for this movie and he should have won it for just this scene and the stairway scene at the end and maybe the last monologue with the skull cut and the, the car cut right that that was pretty cutting edge so the only things he's done outside of of hitchcock that i have seen uh, is cape fear this 1962 film uh, that got remade in cape the fear ha 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 cape fear have you seen Cape Fear? No, it's
0: that's a reference to a Family Guy when Lois and Peter go on a fake Titanic cruise. And then this chick grabs onto the bottom of their car as they're driving away because she fell in love with Peter because Lois didn't want to do the stuff with him. Uh-huh. And so she was like stalking Peter. And so I assume there's a stalker in there. And yeah. she, she hangs onto the bottom of the car and she looks over at the camera and goes, Cape Fear, ha ha ha, Cape Fear. <laughs> <laughs> Kate oh Fear.
1: Yeah, so Cape Fear is about um, an older man who becomes obsessed with his family, specifically this youngest daughter and I believe the wife also. And um, I'm more familiar with the remake that stars Jack Nicholson, and he's super creepy. Ooh, yes. He's good at being creepy. He, he really is. Joker, Joker freaking Jack. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, he's just good at it. Yep. Uh, Juliet Lewis stars in the remake as the young girl, and I think this scene is in both movies where Jack Nicholson's character puts his thumb inside of Juliet Lewis's young, young, young girl mouth. She, like, suckles on it, and it's real uncomfortable. That makes me uncomfortable oh, hearing it. Oh, my it. God. It's Shit. so uncomfortable. Now, the 62 version is far less explicit with the sexuality, right. obviously. But the editing in that was also phenomenal. And the films I know he's done with William Hitchcock, he's just a master at storytelling. He is like, oh, thank you for all of this footage. I know exactly what I need to, to cut. I really need you to suck on his thumb. I really need you to suck on his thumb, little pre... No, she's a teenager. Like, 15-year-old girl on this 30-year-old-plus man. Ugh. It is so uncomfortable. Also, at some point yeah. in the remake, Jack Nicholson breaks a girl's arm during sex just because he can. Oh, yeah. Well, who's not into that. Crazy. Oh, I love a good broken bone. Right. break my bone, not my boner. Yay! <laughs> Breaking bones. <laughs> I, I, I hate I it can. so much. So, we're at... The shower scene. scene. There's been a documentary made about this scene. So we could talk literally for hours about it. It's crazy. You know, so this is the
0: first time I think that we explicitly see... No, this is the first time that we implicitly see Mother other than directly seeing her from the window right this is where we see
1: her like what she physically appears as minus her face we see everything else and so you know while marianne's
0: in the shower mother comes in and gets just real stabby with it
1: and the tension that is built in the lead up to to the murder is so good we see marianne showering uh and she's not doing what most slashers do, which is when a person takes a shower, they act like they've never showered before.
0: Right, like, ooh, how do I wash myself? I well, just...
1: in my references, Oddly's Sleepaway Camp, there's a shower scene where the girl is taking a bar of soap, rubbing it on her clavicles, and going, mmm, mm-hmm. That's like, you're just going to clean your clavicles for 45 seconds? What's happening? Right. Makes no sense. But Marianne's just taking a shower, like a normal hum- human being. Good. And in the background... Good for her. Good for her hygiene. Exactly. Go you. Although hygiene does lead to murder, so there's that. Ooh, facts. So in the background, we see the door open. We see the towering figure of mother, who's very tall for a woman. Just in hindsight, that will make more sense later. Yeah. Women were taller in the 60s. I guess that's a scientific fact. I mean, that was around the time that the the 10-foot woman, 200-foot woman, 100-foot woman came out there's a, mo- a movie it's a monster movie about a giant giant woman who crushes a city oh sweet it's was crazy. that what dude
0: where's my car was referencing at the end where uh, mm-hmm. you know the all the um, alien chicks combined and you know daddy I want to go on that ride me yep. too son mm-hmm. me too
1: yep it's a fun throwback to the world's tallest woman tallest woman on earth I can't remember what it's called it's righteous something giant woman I don't something know. every day Um, so she's creeping up on her and then Marion is unaware Pulls back the curtain, Marion turns around shocked. Knife comes up. Iconic, use
0: of sound. This one resonates throughout the ages.
1: Ring, 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 ring. It's so well used. It's so good. It sounds like it sounds like someone's getting stabbed. It's it fantastic. Does. The sound mixing here, the editing, props to you. You're wow. fucking great. I love it. Also important to note. Is, oh, because this all started because I said there's a fun fact about the editing. What? We lost the story somehow. So people swear that they can actually see a shot of uh, Janet Lee's nipple or Janet Leigh's nipple, depending upon how you say it. Um, it's not in the film. And in fact, anything that you would have seen would have been a body double because Hitchcock did use a body double because generally Lee was like, my naked body is not going on screen. No, it's I think it happen. is uh, fairly significant. You know, we're
0: not going to delve too much into how much of a fucked up person Hitchcock was overall. However, for this scene, in order to prepare her for it, mm-hmm. he forced her to take a shower, to stay in a shower for, what, up to eight hours a day for multiple days in a row prior to shooting this scene. Crazy. Because he thought it would get her, get the most sincere performance out of her.
1: It's insane. I mean, Hitchcock did famously say that he views actors as as cattle and that the moment that they start to make their own characters and make choices for for their characters, they're not acting, they are writing and that's not what they're hired for. So they just act. I did a storytelling. Fucking crazy. Crazy, but he got great, like... I don't think there's an actor who worked on his sets who ever said anything like negative about him, and have often said that they got their best um, acting from him because of how he worked with them. So like, it sounds crazy, but it was clearly effective and it right. worked. It just, you know, it's it's harsh to hear someone say, "Oh, those human beings are just cattle to me." Right. Well, and I I guess I'm just not
0: that much of an artist, apparently. Uh, you know. Yeah, I guess uh, because I'm like I see
1: people as fucking people.
0: It's weird. Not dedicated enough for my art. <laughs> So, you know, uh, as this this scene goes on and we see Mother getting stabby for the first time, there are all sorts of, you know, cuts and editing, as we said, and the the magnificent long post-mortem shot as the water's running and she's sitting there lifeless. And, you know, we can really see that, like, for all that she went through, all the stress and all of what she's been doing, that money didn't do a
1: goddamn thing for her. No, it was... It was an awful choice that led to nothing good. Mm. nothing good has happened to her once since she took that money. She's right. been paranoid, terrified, tense, stressed out and now she's dead. Right nothing good has happened for you. and now this body is just sitting here in the in the water in
0: the running water and we then enter Norman again and oh God, mother, no and we see him just go about cleaning up the mess. And, you know, we can really tell, um, I think that at least for me, it was apparent at this point that this isn't the first time that mothers killed somebody and Norman's had to step in and, you know, cover up the mess. He knows exactly how to dispose of it. He knows exactly what to do. He's very methodical with the way that he, um, you know, he cleans everything up and he goes and he puts her body in her car He gathers her belongings and, you know, puts them in the car, and there is a nice little note, you know, the attention to detail is just superb. He goes and he grabs, he notices the newspaper that's sitting out on the bedside table, grabs it, and he throws that in the trunk with the rest of her stuff, close it up, and books it to the lagoon.
1: Yes, they go to the pond. There's a tiny moment that we missed—the draining shot into her eyeball. I've, I've always loved that from like an editor standpoint. I That's think true. it's wonderfully done. And then there's like that tiny little like of water, and it's like, oh, is that a tear? Is that just the rain? Was she crying? Because she realized that she was dead after making these terrible, terrible choices. No one can actually tell because Hitchcock never clarified what that is supposed to be—whether it's shower or crying. Who knows? You know, maybe she was the
0: original emo and she cries in the shower so that nobody can tell the difference.
1: Maybe. I still do that now. Like, if I'm going to have, like, a good cry, either go to, to the shower, to my car where I listen to Cindy Lauper's Girls Just Want to Have Fun, okay, or to the basement at my job. Fun
0: fact about uh, Cindy Lauper's Girls Just Want to Have Fun. What a trooper she is. A real top-notch performer. Mm-hmm. She was performing outside at one point, and... Um, there's a bird that apparently was not a fan of her performance at all. Um, and the end, the sustain, you know, girls just want to have fun. And she holds it, and that bird dropped a bomb, a little white shit bomb, right in her mouth. And what a trooper. She held the sustain, and she took care of it. She finished the song, and then she probably went and threw up.
1: I would like to assume so. Yeah, I like that. That your bird attack reference is Cindy Lauper. My bird attack reference is Fabio. He was riding a roller coaster once, and a bird flew at his face and like fucked up his like you nose know, up just a tiny bit. Somewhere in the '90s, I think. Oh man, birds just don't like certain people like or Fabio. You know, this is why I was he got afraid fucked of birds. up by
0: a bird and then bested by Jesse and Chester.
1: He just can't win. He really can't. I mean, yeah. despite the fact that he's probably the most famous model of all time for being on every romance novel from the 1980s to 2000s besides that when he's really just a loser in life get over it fabio. yeah you're not that cool fuck off fabio <laughs>
0: <laughs> fuck all the way off. that sounds like an album name fuck off fabio <laughs> um. they'll be fun for everyone death is on the menu tonight